Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Should have been here. Now you don't know where I'm going, do you? Yeah. All right, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, and I, I normally would have somebody read this, but as I shared this morning, it is uh, one of those accounts that Jesus talked about that is very convicting, uh, but also uh, an area that's hard to understand totally uh, and to adapt to totally because it's, uh, he's asking us to do something that's very hard to do, especially if you've been wronged by somebody. Um, tonight, we're going we're gonna to talk about the weapons of warfare. And it's not what you think they are. Uh, according to Scripture, it's not guns and knives, and uh, they're not the weapons of warfare for the Christian. Um, and, uh, and you'll hear a little bit about them, what I think they are, plus one where it does say that in Ecclesiastes 9, what the weapons of warfare, where, uh, warfare are. Um, but one of the weapons that is in our warfare that we need to have in our arsenal is forgiveness. We need to be forgiving people. So in Matthew 18, we're going to read the account here again, and uh, uh, we're going to go through it from uh, 21 on through to the end of the chapter. So then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And by the way, I believe Peter was convicted here right, because of what was taught earlier in the chapter. So you'll have to go back there and, and read all of that to get that. He says, forgive him till seven times, and uh, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven, right? What would that be, everybody? How many? 490. 490. That's the name of this message. What happens at 490? What happens at 490? Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And as I shared this morning, it's something he could not pay back. Uh, it just wasn't possible in his lifetime. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is nothing in comparison to what he owed. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that, me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Same thing he told the king. And look what he did. He would not. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant, servant saw what, he, what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as 
I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth. That's a, that's a word for very, very angry. And he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Um, by the way, that's a reference to eternal death without God because he could never pay all that was owed him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. My Father, this is uh, hard to preach, hard to reach, but also hard to adapt, Lord, in our lives, to be forgiving people no matter what the circumstances that come against us. I trust, Lord, you'll help our hearts and minds uh, be open to your cry and to your pity that you've shown on us so that we could be that type of person to those that have wronged us. We want to be forgiving people, Lord. Sometimes that's hard for us to do. So we trust, Lord, you'll open our eyes and mind and help us do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Jesus told people, uh, Peter, you are to forgive, not just seven times. He said, but 70 times seven. And if you do the math, that's 490 times. Now, you just did the math and you just told me what that was. Now, I know what the scholars say about that, that this is just a metaphor, right? The scholars say it's just a metaphor, meaning there's no limit to forgiveness. But I have a literal analytical mind. Is that all right with everybody? And he did say 490 times. He did make that number request. So that, by the way, is a lot of times to forgive the same person uh, for a crime uh, against you. So don't you find that interesting? I find that interesting that he would actually come up with a number like that, you know, for now, we do know it's a metaphor. I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting it isn't. I'm just saying I would be hard-pressed to believe anyone would need to be forgiven 490 times by the same person. But I suppose it could, and, I, and maybe it has happened. I don't know. But if you really think about it, forgiveness is really the bedrock upon uh, which our salvation stands. It, is also, it also is what gives authenticity to our testimonies. In other words, if we can't forgive somebody, how could somebody believe that God could forgive them? If we can't do it, we're called one of his servants. So if God could not have found within himself to forgive us, what would have happened? We would have died in our sins and spent eternity in a lake of fire. So likewise, if the Christ, as Christians cannot find within themselves the ability to forgive those who have sinned against us, we, we, we ruin our testimonies and, and our effectiveness. It, it, we really do that. I was talking to Jen just a minute ago about that in the hallway, and it's, it's true. We just, we just lose our effectiveness because we're just not forgiving people. So I don't know how you feel about what's going on over here. It doesn't matter to me. They're people. And, uh, and how they came here, maybe I don't agree with the government and what they were doing to bring those people over here. But they're people, right? And they're people that need to be forgiven, not of coming through illegally, but of their sins, right? Just like we were forgiven of our sins. So if God, listen, if he could not find within us, right, to forgive, right? We're really ungrateful, aren't we, to him for forgiving us. So, so back to the title of the message uh, and my points. What happened at 490? What happens at 490? Is there a 491? 
Is there a 591? Is there a 1091? I want you to think about this. I'm going to tell you what I believe needs to happen at 490. All right, what happens at 490? Here's what you do. You restart, you restart all over again. All right, you just restart all over again. That's what happens at 490. I am here to tell you, you can forgive over and over and over again. Uh, uh, why? Because I know he has forgiven me again and again and again. Uh, it, it, it all, and still does. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it says 1 John 1, 9. So as long as one is willing to ask for forgiveness, we ought to be willing to forgive. As long as one is alive and able to forgive, we ought to, we ought to forgive, even if not asked for forgiveness. We should just automatically do that as a Christian because we've been forgiven and spared hell. So as long as one is willing to ask this, and we should be, even as God is limitless in his mercy, we should be limitless in mercy. So what happens at 490? Well, we just start all over again. Pretty simple, isn't it? doesn't get any more elementary than that. You just start all over again. And just like we did the first time, we do it again. And the past one is forgotten. And I'm talking about that in my second point in just a second. So I, I've, been, I've been forgiven for offending God. Therefore, I can forgive those who have offended me. And I do it as, as many times as it takes uh, for them to realize I'm doing it for Jesus' sake. Why? Because of what he did for me. I can just keep forgiving them. I didn't deserve heaven at all. Right? So I don't know why I can't uh, have compassion on somebody that doesn't deserve heaven also and, and can find their way and we can help them find their way there. So God knows I've needed forgiveness far more than 409 times. You know, the other day I was driving home from the airport and I came back into the airport, this was a month ago now, I think it was, from uh, uh, Pensacola, Florida and my car was completely dead in the cheap parking lot that's where we park it when we go in there just leave it in there completely dead and I was pretty frustrated and and uh, God knows I need forgiveness for some of the things I was thinking right there that day but I was driving home and I began to wonder here's how God convicts your hearts how many times I have made a trip to Albany since I was born in 1955 uh, because um, if you're familiar with Pastor Crab, I, I drove him to almost every pretty much 90% of all of his airport trips. He went to 90-some countries, and I was up all night sometimes driving him back and forth, picking him up back and forth. And I, I think I think I figured it up it was 280 sometimes just for him alone. But, um, but I did some realizing when I did that, that the other day, as I was driving from the airport, I began to wonder how many times, and then it's been literally hundreds of times in the 52 years of my 68 years because you got to exclude the first 16 years before I got my license. I don't believe I've ever driven that trip at the speed limit. You all, go, you all know where I'm going with this, right? I, I don't think I ever have. Because I can remember Pastor Crabb sometimes saying to me, uh, don't you think you want to small, small, <laughs> slow down a little bit? And I'd say, well, Pastor, your flight's going out at a certain time. We've got to make sure they're there in time. But anyways, uh, I don't remember. I, I, I always go a little over the speed limit. Oh, man, I'm confessing my sins to all of you. 
uh, sometimes a lot over the speed limit when I was running late, and regardless how much I went over, I went over. Do you realize just a little sin is just as bad as a big sin? One sin is just as bad as doing all the sins. Uh, you understand that, right? So each time, whether it be two miles an hour or 20 miles an hour, my, I could have got a ticket. And I could have got stopped, and the officer could have uh, confiscated my license or whatever they do. So then I thought, if that is just going to Albany and back, what about all the hundreds of other trips that I've made around the state where I went over the speed limit? Now, you all see where I'm going with this, right? If, you're, if you do a, a, just an analytical of that alone, and you quote Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I got a lot of sins that need to be forgiven. We've never, we never look at the total statistics, do we? We never do. Uh, or the bigger picture. We just think those that rob banks and, you know, that, that lie a lot. We think they're the ones that need the, you know, they need the forgiveness, but, uh, but we all need it. The truth is, it's literally thousands of times that we need forgiveness in our lifetime. So I wonder if God stopped at 490. That's it. You're cut off. You've gone over your credit limit. Amen. So, you know, that happens when you try to charge your card and you've gone over the limit. You know, you've gone over, I'm sorry, we're going to revoke your card. We're going to revoke your salvation. You, you need to start all over again. You just got to start all over again. Now, what happens at 490? Well, here's the second thing. You need to release the first 490 totally away. You just need to release them. Let them go. We don't hold on to any of them. You know, notice that after being forgiven, the debtor's responsibility to forgive his debtors was not an option or even a suggestion. According to this, the Lord here, his king, he was just to release them, just like he had released him. So the servant paid a severe price for his unforgiving spirit. He could have let this debtor's debt go completely. He could have done that. I shared this morning about a, a, a debt that I had to somebody that privately and personally let me borrow some money. And I got the cash together, finally went back to pay the person off, and they said, you don't owe me nothing. He said, just like you never owed me anything, so use the money to your whatever you need to use it for. And that was, I, I still remember this day, we were, in, we were in a major struggle financially, and he helped us out and then just forgave us and on top of that, out of his grace, he gave us, you know, and took the right to that clean. So the servant paid a severe price. We should have let, uh, he should have let his debtor's debt go completely. Does that mean until he wronged him again or until he met your requirements for the same circumstances? I don't believe so. Uh, here's why. Here's what I believe it means. Letting go means I can never keep an account of what I felt I was owed just as if I was never, ever owed it. I really believe that's what it means, you know, so I can live my life, you know, I can go on without having that burden of vengeance in my heart. So the person is no longer indebted to me because my debts have been completely paid for by Christ. He or she has been completely exonerated of their debt because I have been completely exonerated of mine. So the, chain, the, the charges will never be brought up again because the charges have been completely dropped. 
That's the way I see it. There's now no record of them just as if they never happened, right? Just as if they never had it. So letting go means, here's, here's a few things I wrote down, and if you take notes, it's good. Letting go just means I never asked for what was owed me again. You know, even if I see them come into wealth. Wouldn't that be something, right? Somebody owed me a couple thousand dollars and I let it go, and then all of a sudden they get about a million dollars in a lottery or something like that. I wonder if they'll ever pay me. No. I let it go, right? The debt's clean. It's clean. Has been forgiven. There's no record of it at all. Therefore, there's no need to ask for it or expect it to be coming in. You know, if the, in the annals of heaven there is no record of my sin, therefore, uh, before I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, so why would I keep records? God erased it all from the records. He has even forgotten it. Now I know when I say erased, you're saying, oh, wait a minute, did God make a mistake? No, he did not make a mistake. It's an omniscient, sovereign God able to forget anything. Reformed theology says, no, he can't forget everything. But I'm telling you, he is and can forgive anything. And, and, and including his own memory, from his own memory. Now, how, why would I say that? Because Isaiah 43, 25 says that. I, even I, am he that blotteth out the transgressions for my own sake, he said. I do it for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. So if you were to step into heaven and uh, you had already received Christ and he's there with open arms, right? And then you come in and you say, Gee, Jesus, I'm really sorry that I did this when I was 14 years old. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the way I see it. Because a sovereign, providential God can forget something. If he's sovereign, he can forget something. Even though Reformed theology says he can't because he's past, present, and future. No, God can do anything. That's one of the things that he can do. I never again have to ask for forgiveness for those sins I did before I got saved. And God will never again hold me accountable to them. Why? Because the debt was paid and it was final. Christ closed the case, destroyed the file. It's gone in the deepest part of the sea, according to the Scripture. So letting go means I can never expect a preferential treatment from those I have forgiven ever again. In other words, I forgave you. You should be nice to me because I forgave you that sin. You should, you know, officer, you shouldn't give me that ticket. Do you remember I paid for your mother's? Yeah, that'll go over well. I remember one time uh, driving through Glenville, of all places, and there was a local trooper that I knew very, very well. They say he would uh, give a ticket to his own mother. I found out he would. I pulled through, and I go, hey, Bill, how you doing? Good to see you. He said, good to see you, too. And I said, so what's up? He goes, you were going five miles over to the speed limit. Oh, I said, I must have I just slipped my mind there when I was going. He goes, oh, that's okay. Let me, I'm going to go write you a ticket, and I'll give it back. And I go, you're going to write me a ticket? <laughs> he goes, yeah. You broke the law. I'm thinking, I thought you were my friend. And he went back to the car, gave me the ticket. And I went to the judge, it was so funny, I went to the judge with a ticket, and he knew the judge, I know the judge too. You know, when you're in ministry, you know a lot of people. I went to the judge too, and the judge goes, he gave you a ticket for that? <laughs> Five miles an hour, I was saying, yeah. And the judge says, well, I have a, this, is, this fits this story perfectly, right? Because the judge has the availability and, and the, uh, yeah, whatever that word is. 
And he said, well, what I'm going to do is, he said, I'm just going to write it as a failure to use your blinker light so you don't get any marks on your license. He had the opportunity to do that. So I can never expect preferential treatment from those I have forgiven ever again. It's as if they never, the debtors, uh, they were never debtors to me, therefore they owe me no favors for me forgiving them. Jesus taught us to pray, saying, forgive us our debts and as we forgive our debtors. So Paul said, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, flesh we shall die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are, are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So what happens at 490? Right, class? What do we do first? We restart all over again. Secondly, forgiving. Uh, uh, if you, secondly, what do you do? We, we just release the 490 away just as if they never owed us anything. And lastly is this. What happens at 490? You ready yourself to forgive again. You just ready yourself because it's going to happen again. I, I, um, uh, Psalm 86.5 says this. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. I like that word ready. You're just ready. If you're going to come to him looking for forgiveness, he's ready. And plenteous in mercy unto them that call upon thee. If there's anybody in here today that's unsaved and thinks there's a sin, they've done it, couldn't be forgiven. I'm telling you, he's right now, right here, ready to save you. I don't know what you did. He's ready to t- accept your repentance and, and accept your faith. And if you'll just trust him, he'll, you, he'll take you in and forgive you what you've done. If I were standing here, there next to Peter, hearing the, the Lord's response, being as ignorant and as liberal as I am when it comes to this stuff, I, I, I would have to ask, then what happens after 490? Because I, you know why? Because I know I'm going to go over 490, Lord. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to go over it. Why I need more forgiveness than 490 times. After I ask it, I can just see Jesus just smiling, shaking his head like, boy, he's a fool. And saying, Wade, what am I going to do with you? Is there anyone here who will never need forgiveness again after you've been saved? Because we will. That's what 1 John 9 is all about. Think how important forgiveness is to you. Now think how important it is to the Savior. Is there here anyone who has not, who was not forgiven at Calvary? I don't hear no amens or hands raised or anything like that. The Bible says no one. God forgave everyone. Is there anyone here who will never need forgiveness again? I don't see any hands up, right? The Bible says no. Forgiveness for sins concerning our salvation is sure, but needing forgiveness after we're saved is still needed. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, is there anyone here who is unforgivable? The answer is still no. Jesus forgave everyone on the cross of redemption, so... Not only is everyone forgiven, everyone is forgivable, but the question's kind of a trick question. Is there anyone who cannot be forgiven? Uh, I'm sorry to say there is. 
there is someone who cannot be forgiven, and that's a person who rejects Jesus Christ. That's the only unforgivable sin. It's sad, isn't it? Because we've been forgiven, and those that reject him are still forgiven on his part. But I don't know what happens in there where they can't, they can't come to him and understand that. So as a result is, that's what the unforgivable sin is, is that they rejected Jesus Christ. Matthew, or Mark 3, 28 through 29 says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiven us. Uh, they just, they don't receive it. But is in danger of eternal damnation. So in, in God's mercy and grace, all sinners have been forgiven. All sins are forgivable, including blasphemy. However, there is one exception to that rule. The ones who blaspheme permanently by rejecting Jesus Christ. In many people's minds, there are sins they've done they feel are unforgivable. I can say this now. I, I wouldn't have been able to say this last year because my father was still alive. But I remember when I led him to the Lord and he said to me, son, and it scared me half to death, he says, I, there's, just something, there's just some things I've done that God won't be able to forgive me for. And as, as a panicked person, I said, did you kill somebody? And he goes, no. I didn't kill anybody. I said, then, then he can forgive you. I mean, he would have forgiven you if you killed somebody. I mean, I, I, you really would have, but I said, I don't think there's anything. But I think what was happening, he did something that he'd be embarrassed to tell his son about. All sin is forgivable except for one, and that's just rejecting Jesus Christ. So these blasphemous scribes from Jerusalem had rejected him. And contrary to the uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit, they accused Jesus of being Satan, which was unforgivable. But they took it one step further, right? And they rejected him as their Messiah. I, I, they had blasphemed the counsel and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I pray there's no one here right now that's willing to go that route. To say you're foolish in that church. You're foolish for what you do. I, never, I don't need to trust on Jesus Christ. We die and then we just, we're gone forever. Well, I got news for you. You're blaspheming the God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. You're a blasphemer. And he'll even forgive that if you'll, before you die, trust on him and give your life to him. Repent of your sins and turn to him. In just moments, it's, what's amazing about this story in the Bible is that in just moments he was going to go to the cross and their forgiveness would be demonstrated right there. As he said to the world, forgive them, they know not what they do. They missed him by 12 inches. That's all they did. And probably only by 12 feet. So they were rejecting the Christ on that cross. Therefore, they would die in their sins without the forgiveness that was already been paid for by God by crucifying his own son. You see, all sins have been forgiven by God, although the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but men will still go to hell for rejecting it. 
And, and I, if I be lifted up above the earth, Jesus said, will draw all men unto me. You know, because I know, and the one thing I know is for sure is that God is drawing all men to himself. So don't get in that Calvinist arena there. There's not a personal lie that God doesn't draw to himself. Right? Because he wants all men saved. And by the way, if there was no will involved in it, then all men would be saved. Right? Because the sovereign God wanted that, well, then he'd just make all, all men saved. Right? I remember a preacher once saying, you know, about baptism. Uh, when they say you've got to be baptized to be saved. He said, if that's the case, he said, well, then I just bring a hose in here and spray you off. And put you into heaven. You know, that's the, that's the way, when we get into these theological debates and battles and all this stuff, we take away from the simplicity of Christ. The Holy Ghost draws all men to Christ, including these blaspheming scribes, and convicts them of their sins, showing them their way out is only through Jesus Christ. So we must always be ready to forgive, because so many need to see their forgiveness is found only in Jesus Christ. I hate it when people reject. I remember, I remember at the bedside of a man that was on a feeding tube, and the doctor had said to him, um, you know, do you want to take the tubes off? And he said, yes. He said, you do under, I was right there. He said, you do understand when we pull these off, he says, um, you're, you're only going to live a few minutes. And he said, yes. So we said, doctor, can we talk to him just for a minute before you go? We had been praying for him for years. And doctor stepped out of the room, and I said to him, I said, listen, you know, I've shared the gospel with you several times. You've got family members that have been praying for you all these many years. I says, and now we're down to our last moment. I said, in a moment, they're going to pull these machines off. Do you want to trust Christ as your Savior right now and settle that issue? And just as plain as day, he said, No. Pulled the plug, and off he went off into eternity hell. One of the saddest moments in all of my ministry. The sobering truth is not preached much in our churches because no one wants to believe someone they love could end up in hell simply because they made a wrong decision concerning Christ. Everyone in hell, my friends, is there because they blasphemed against the Holy Ghost by rejecting his counsel to believe on him and receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior. So they, in essence, in essence, they rejected his forgiveness and was willing to take their chances. It breaks my heart. I hate seeing people die. It makes it so much easier for me when they know Christ as their savior. We would rather put everyone in heaven or at least put them in some sort of holding tank like purgatory, wouldn't we? Why do you think they came up with that? Because nobody likes to see or think that somebody's going to end up in hell. Yeah, right. right. They get in there, they can rethink their decision. And it gives us a little more time to pray them into heaven. Nothing is more dangerous to those who believe this. I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of the greatest blasphemies of Catholicism, thinking there's a holding tank between here and hell. And how many people will not trust Christ because they think once they get into that holding tank, somebody will pray them in and it'll be all right. You know, Luke 16, uh, 23 through 31 says, uh, made it crystal clear where the rich man pleased for his brothers when he realized the gulf between heaven and hell was fixed. 
In other words, it's set fast, can't be moved, can't be changed. Right? As he looked in, I would turn there, but I don't have enough time right now because we're at noontime. I'd like to keep here for another half hour, but there's no, there's, there is no decision making after you take your last breath. That's it. Your decision uh, has to be made before you take your last breath, before you enter into that grave. The trouble with this kind of thinking that puts everyone in heaven is that it's blasphemy, contrary to the gospel, but it makes us feel good. Right? And it also, what does it do? It stops us from doing what we're supposed to do for Jesus Christ. Because there are a lot of wishful thinkers out there gambling with their souls because they will not accept God's only way to righteousness through Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of Christians who have not forgiven someone as Christ has forgiven them. And they too, listen to me very carefully, are gambling with their souls, not for salvation, not with their salvation, but with their relationship with God. Because they just won't forgive somebody. We must always be ready to forgive as Christ is always ready to forgive us. It is, vit it is vitally important to God that we're always ready. Always ready. And when, he, and when you stand praying, it says in Mark 11, when you stand praying, forgive. Isn't that funny? I got thinking about that Wednesday night. That should be the first thing we should pray about when we go to prayer. We pray about sick people. We pray about this. We pray about that. But I think the first thing we should probably, as we pray, is forgive anybody that we haven't forgiven. And, and if you have all against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you, will not, if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know what that tells me? It tells me it's something about prayer. You know, the word translated as stand has the, the sense of to persevere or to persist. The primary lesson is to persevere in prayer. If you're going to persevere in prayer, you have to be forgiving people. Because hearts uh, need to be emptied of the bitterness and of the unforgiveness. The second lesson is that God will not consider our request to be forgiven when we can't be forgiving and we're holding bitterness in our hearts towards somebody else. So in other words, unforgiveness on your part renders your prayers powerless. And, and David Sorson put it this way. He said, sin short circuits prayer. Forgiveness is one of those things. Having power in prayer requires not only faith, it also requires a heart that desires to be clean from sin, especially the bitterness towards another. So that means forgiveness has to be in there. Peter may have thought he was being generous, being uh, we know from Jewish culture that rabbis taught that uh, forgiving three times was the limit. He may have thought he was being generous, but therefore, when asked if one should forgive another, even after being uh, offended seven times, he just said, until 70 times seven? See, obviously, listen, when you think about this, now I'm about done. The idea is not for 90, but rather as long as one needs forgiveness, we ought to be willing to forgive. But the greater idea is this, even if they don't ask for forgiveness, I'm to forgive them. Because there's plenty of people in hell right now didn't ask for forgiveness. But Christ forgave them. They just never received it. So in closing... This entire chapter dealt with brethren that are out of sorts with each other. The whole incident started. Do you realize this? The whole incident started here with the petty immaturity and squabbling of the disciples over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's how it all came to this. 
And implied here is that one or several of the disciples would not forgive each other. And, and honestly, I, sometimes I think about these, I put myself in this, it's like, it's like Christ wanted to grab them by the throat. <laughs> right? Like this, uh, and just say, why don't you guys get together and listen? So Jesus thus taught the main lesson of resolving conflict in a, in a proper fa- uh, fashion, and it's first forgiveness. So with that said, listen, Peter probably was the guilty party because he was the one who asked Jesus about forgiving seven times. And and the sad truth is I can almost guarantee someone will eventually leave this church or leave a family or leave a job or think about leaving this church or a family or a job just because they're unwilling to forgive someone else in this church or someone in their family. Or someone on their job. You know, I, I wrote this down. His command to forgive was unremitting. In other words, we have to be ready. It's unbiased, right? No one is exempt. And it's unconditional because there's no one that is unforgivable. Everybody can be forgiven. So my appeal is I don't know who it is or what you've been through or how you've been hurt or what you have done I want to tell this you can be forgiven and you can be a forgiving person don't gamble with your soul don't gamble there's there's eternal forgiveness in Jesus Christ he can show you that today if you're if you're not saved in here know that you're forgiven It's just a matter of accepting that forgiveness. Turning from your sin and receiving him as your savior. Don't gamble with your soul. If you are saved here today, don't let forgiveness ruin your relationship with Jesus Christ. Unforgiveness, excuse me. Unforgiveness with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't gamble with that. If you've already been forgiven at Calvary, great. And that's left, all that's left to do is confess your sin, repent of it, and then receive Christ as your Savior. Ask Him to save you. If you have been saved, great. You know you've been forgiven, but you need to be forgiving. Because that might be the only thing that's holding you or holding someone from heaven is watching your bitterness towards them. Amen? So let's bow our heads here for a moment and uh, just give a short invitation. I'm just going to quickly say, is there anyone here by the raised hand, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around that has, is not sure if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven because there's things in their lives that uh, they feel may not be forgiven. Is there anybody here that doesn't know for sure that they're going to heaven? By the raised hand, I'll just say amen. I'm not going to pick on anybody. All right, anybody at all? All right, now here comes the, this is where the rubber meets the road. Anybody here with a, by the raised hand will say, there are people I have not forgiven. I need to deal with that right now. Anybody at all? Okay, there's hands all over the place, Okay. So you've heard from the Lord. That's what you're telling me by your raised hand. You've heard from the Lord. What would be the next step? Obviously to forgive them. 
forgive them. So, Father, I pray, as we close out this invitation, you've spoken to hearts here this morning. Yes, you have, even to my own. There are names that came to my mind even while I was preaching that I had pushed way outside of my circle. I trust, Lord, you'll help me to be as forgiving as you were, to help them see you for who you were and what you did on that cross at Calvary. So as, as Mike closes us out with a hymn, I pray, Lord, we do business with you today, either in our pews or at this altar. We want you to take hold of us, Lord, and move us in the direction we need to go in so that we can be most effective for you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Stay up to date with us. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.